All right, everyone, a little bit of a disclaimer. Today's episode's a little different. We're talking about some of the recent Supreme Court decisions and just want you guys to know that while these are personal opinions that may be held by myself and Jordan, they are not the opinions and views of Fisher or David as a whole. Just want to give you guys that disclaimer. A little heads up, you know, for this episode. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, have you reached a verdict? verdict? Welcome to the John and Jordan on Justice podcast. Your weekly deep dive into personal injury and wrongful death law. All rise. All rise. Touching on everything torts, legal tech, trying cases to verdict, and the outlandish stories that come with them. And now, here are your hosts, John Fisher and Jordan Reed David. All right, everybody, welcome back to the show. Another episode of John and Jordan on Justice. We have Jordan here in studio uh, in Atlanta, his home studio, and me here in Florida for, uh, you know, kind of a one-on-one session with just us. No guests today. Um, talk about... Yes, no and no the last episode we'll be releasing on a Sunday. This is... Yeah, a, yeah. We're going to be switching to a Wednesday release, and actually, in anticipation of that, for the listeners out there, we had... Ross Guberman come on, who's a legal writing expert out of the D.C. area, and that episode will be released on Wednesday, not Sunday. Right. So we're, we're here Friday. It's Friday, June 24th. This is going to come out on a Sunday. And I must say, you know, obviously the this has been a crazy week, not just as a, as a lawyer, um, but as an individual in this country. You know, we are... Witnessing what I what I feel has been a fifty year journey, uh, of which to to do away with the decision of Roe v. Wade, and you know there was also I think two or three other decisions that also uh, had affects gun rights, and also the um, federal funding for religious charter schools. Yeah, I mean you grow up. I mean we both grew up in America. You grew up in Virginia. I grew up in New York. Uh, but we both found our way to the University of Miami Law School. And, you know, I think back to law school on a week like this and all the precedents and all the opinions that came out that you read from 50 years ago, 30 years ago, 100 years ago. Uh, and they just seem when you read them in those books, black and white or even off Westlaw, they just seem like settled principles. And then here we are present day, you know, for me, almost about 10 years into practice, you a little over and we are currently living in the world where these things are all being turned upside down on their heads and clawed back. So it's, it's a really, it's an interesting and for me on a personal level, troubling time to live in, not just as an American citizen, but also, you know, as a father and a husband and a lawyer, you know, like I have all these interesting dynamics and the interplay between them is not, you know, the fallout has not really settled, but nevertheless, we're here. So, and, and I think that as something that, needs to be say is elections matter right elections matter you know we we're in florida <clears throat> we also jordan we we practice in georgia as well but we have seen in in our like judicial activism in florida as well right we desantis was elected governor three of the liberal justices had to base they we have a retirement age a mandatory retirement age and they had to get off the bench so what happened three seats were open they appoint all you know, I don't want conservative judges. So now there's a six to one majority and we have seen them change the legal standard for experts They changed the adopting federal summary judgment standards. And we're not talking about, they didn't even have a case before them. 
They're just sui sponte right. under their the rulemaking. Rule power. Right. Which means, what is that? Judicial activism. You know? Well, you know, it's like, it's weird. On the one hand, you know, we have to, yeah, on the state level, you know, right? The state constitution contemplates that the state Supreme Court should be in charge of its own procedures and rules. And I think, you know, on a core level, obviously that makes sense. But yeah, I think to your larger point is that we're just living in an interesting time. You know, if you were to cabin off the past two, three years from today, looking back, there's just been tremendous change in the federal and the state landscape, not only in terms of the faces that comprise the highest courts in the state and the country, but also on some of the rules, procedures and substantive laws that you know, now exist that didn't before or that used to exist before. And, you know, in, in the case of Roe v. Wade's, you know, presidential value, it goes to zero today. Right. So it's it's just a very, very interesting, <coughs> excuse me, time in that regard. And, you know, I have long felt I think one of the a day like today makes me think back to something like one of the first feelings I had in law school, um, which is this weird. These two competing interests where like you don't want the court any court to be politicized. It should be like an independent branch, right, of our government. But then this like obvious predictability with how certain rulings of significance will go based on who appointed who, you know, assumptions about political ideology or reading into past concurring or descending opinions. And like this idea that you can just so, I don't want to say easily, but that's that's the word that comes to mind, so easily predict how a case like the one that was decided today can be predicted based on the composition of the court as opposed to stare decisis, which, right. you know, really, you know, it's interesting. Stare decisis seems so significant all the time until it just doesn't. Well, and, uh, yeah, you yeah. know, it's, it's, they talk about start like it. And for those that obviously if they're lawyers or non-lawyers, stare decisis is basically the presidential value of cases decided beforehand, really kind of moving forward um, and being applied and what they say is the reasoning behind it is to maintain the, the integrity of the court, right? That the, the ebb and flows of the makeup of the court based <clears throat> upon if it's a liberal or a conservative won't affect the individualism of those justices won't affect the law and the landscape of, of this country. <clears throat> when you just do away with it, and, and really there's no other, you can't check them. They're, they're the, the end all be all. The Supreme Court's the end. There's nothing to be done. So when you look at short of a constitutional convention (laughs) put forth by two thirds of the states, which I, you know, I don't even, I don't even want to disregard that as, as uh, exceedingly impossible as it seems. I mean, that's, that's still a, uh, at least in theory, something that could happen and maybe will happen. Who knows uh, one day in our lifetime. Well, I I think the problem with 66%, well, right now we have 39% of states who have effectively banned abortion. Right. There, there you go. There's your answer. We'll never re- reach that threshold. I, I mean, and we're talking about, we were just talking about this off camera. The Missouri Attorney General just came on and said, we are proud based upon our law because it had a, an automatic trigger in the event this law is reversed. Because this is something that's been brewing for years, that he was proud that they are the first state to eliminate abortion <coughs> without exception. Without exception. Yeah, I think, you know, and I haven't done the deep dive, but I think it's because there were some pre, you know, old carryover laws from pre Roe v. Wade. And now if Roe v. Wade ceases to exist, then those laws theoretically come back mm-hmm. into play. But, yeah, it's 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 kind of I don't know. It's unsettling for me, um, both as a lawyer and a human being. Yeah. Um, 
But, you know, when I, I, I've read the, as much as I can, it's a long opinion and probably one that should be read eight to 10 times before you, you know, pretending that you really understand what they're trying, the court is trying to convey. But <clears throat> at the end of the day, the, uh, what's the name of this? Is it the Dobbs opinion? Is that what it's going to kind of be referred to? Dobbs versus Jackson? Yeah. At the end of the day, it's one of these things where, uh, although we're talking about is there a right to an abortion, it really comes down to substantive due process under the 14th Amendment. Right. Uh, whether or not there's this inherent right to privacy there or other rights. And, you know, even though the majority opinion authored by Justice Alito has some express carve out language that we are only addressing the right to abortion, this doesn't impact any of our prior precedents on any other constitutional rights. Then you've got Justice Thomas in a concurring opinion. And Justice Thomas, obviously, had having joined the majority, basically saying, well, we should call into question some of those other opinions. And I think, you know, for those out there that haven't made the connection, the reason Justice Thomas is saying that about things like same-sex marriage and other things is because those rulings uh, upholding the existence of those rights were based on the same substantive idea mm-hmm. uh, that the 14th <clears throat> Amendment afforded these things. And so if it doesn't afford abortion, it's, yes, we can read this opinion narrowly, but it's also like a head scratcher to think that when and if, not if, when these other rights get challenged, and I'm sure there'll be a, a wave of litigation about it, uh, how's how's the majority of the court going to distinguish it uh, at all? You know, abortion to same-sex marriage, they they're can. two different different things, but at, in a legal sense, they both arise, <clears throat> or they used to, out of the same uh, area of law, out of the same portion of our Constitution, and now it seems for one of them they don't. So it's just a very... I don't know if the writing is on the wall is the right expression, but, you know, getting back to this this idea of like being able to kind of predict how future legal challenges will will come out. You know, we're trial lawyers predominantly. Nobody really knows how trials going to come out. You have educated guesses, but you never really know because it's in the hands of jurors who are people of the community on the appellate side, especially when you get to the higher courts, you have this weird sense where you can almost predict. And so I, you know. We'll see when and if that happens, but uh, that's that's what my intuition says. You know? Yeah, I, I mean, I think Judge Thomas, in his uh, concurring opinion, you did use <coughs> the words decidedly erroneous. I think was what the what I when he talked about three Supreme Court opinions. One was Lawrence um, offered all. I think I've, I think it's not might not be offered all, but it starts with OF, and then the, I forget the, the third one. But the the idea was that the the Access to contraceptives for a married couple was one of them, which seems to me like that shouldn't even be an issue, but I guess it is. The other one was Lawrence. Uh, that was the one where uh, essentially the ability to have or perform sexual acts uh, in your home, which was really derived. Or Again, a, a right to privacy, right? Like at right, the end right. of the day, it's right um, And then the other one, and, and, and I guess that was in a predominantly same-sex um, relationship. That was, and then they had the 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 same sex entitlement to marriage. He said these are decidedly erroneous. They're based on the same due process rights, and that that Roe v. Wade was, and that it, it should be revisited and basically overturned. You know, and and the there was, and I and I talked about this is because there was one opinion that he did not mention was you know Virginia versus Loving or if it's Loving versus Virginia, which was the entitlement to individuals to have interracial marriage, right? I think it was a white man married a, a black female or a black female married you know, a white male. And he didn't mention that case, which again is based upon that same reasoning. And, and that's because Clarence Thomas is a black man married to a white woman. 
Right. Well, I'm a white man married to a black woman, and I mean it's so what? It's so in my consciousness, and I'm sure tons of others, yeah. and you know it does. It, it begs the question. This is what I was I was suggesting to you earlier, and your point is a valid one. We're talking about abortion today because that's the decision for, of today. But at the end of the day, if you just peel back one layer, it really calls into question: Is there even a limiting principle if we're going to say that the Fourteenth Amendment doesn't have this inherent right to privacy? So I'm looking at. I'm just pulling up. I think it's page five of, you know, it's not in a reporter yet, but of the uh, the Dobbs decision. And you've got the majority says this. <clears throat> Rose defenders characterized the abortion right as similar to the rights recognized in past decisions involving matters such as intimate sexual relations, contraception and marriage doesn't say gay or interracial, just marriage. But abortion is fundamentally different. That's I basically quoted, except for my little uh, editorializing, editorializing over marriage. So you've got the majority basically saying, oh, no, no, no. Abortion is fundamentally different. But as far as I can read the opinion, I don't know how substantively that can be said. If all of those other areas of law, those rights, I'm going to call them rights because I, I believe that they are. And as of today, they are. Um, if those rights all arise or stand on the same foundation and today, a majority of the court just said that foundation is not even a thing. It was never a thing. It was erroneous from day one. Well, then how on earth can you say it's abortion is fundamentally different? And I don't, I don't, you know, if I were a betting man, which I am, but not in this context, I mean, just casually, if I were a betting man, I, I, I find it impossible to believe that when these challenges find their way up, that the court's going to be able to meaningfully distinguish them on some fundamental difference. I, I just don't see it. Um, and it's, you know, for me, like I said, as a human being and as a lawyer and as an American, all these things, and everybody's entitled to their own opinions. And that includes me. You know, it's it's incredibly disheartening and disappointing. Uh, and I have these feelings of uh, fear that I really didn't have before, you know, as the father of two young children, as the husband of, an you know, a, a black woman in an interracial marriage. All of these things come to my mind. just like, you know, where's the limiting principle here? Right. Uh, and it's just uh, I, it's hard to feel the love in a moment like this. And, you know, I don't want to I'm not trying to be self-involved, you know, but everyone out there has to kind of reconcile these things on an individual basis. Right. Be, I mean, it's OK to be self-involved. I mean, th- these opinions are wide sweeping and affect everyone. Right. right. Um, I, I you know, people use the word slippery slope. Right. You know, you always want to you got to think about, you know, what is this going to do? Is it going to create a slippery slope? It's been created. I mean, this this is this opinion can be applied to run downhill and smash through all those other Supreme Court opinions. Because if 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 you're going to say that this legal application which which upheld Roe v. Wade is erroneous, then that same application and it doesn't matter in what context, right? Because I don't think if you know if you're saying that it's it, there's some kind of factual dissimilarities between it. There's really not. It's really the the legal basis to find that protection afforded in the Constitution. And if that legal basis is wrong, and it's the same basis for a multitude of opinions, you know, the Supreme Court said it's wrong. Yeah, I mean, they don't just say it's wrong. I mean, here's page six of the of the opinion. This is one sentence. Roe was egregiously wrong from the start. Period. End quote. Yeah. Uh, those are pretty strong words in any appellate opinion, let alone from our nation's highest court, talking about precedent that's been there for 50 years, talking about a precedent. It's not just like Roe v. Wade exists in a vacuum, right? We had Casey versus Planned Parenthood many years later. 
modifying the doctrine a little bit, but ultimately affirming the underlying principle. So, <clears throat> you know, for a court today in 2022 to say a case was egregiously decided way back then, but another version of this court not too long ago relative to our history uh, affirmed it. It's just, a, I don't know, it's a bit of a head scratcher. You know, it's not that the writing wasn't on the wall or that, uh, you know, this is a situation where, I mean, in a truly unique situation where there was like leaked opinions of the draft, excuse me, leaked draft opinions. So like, I mean, the writing really was on the wall. I don't think it took anyone as a surprise, but uh, it takes me by surprise in terms of the reasoning. Just complete evisceration of something that had been there for a long time and used in a variety of contexts to uphold what I'm going to continue to call the right. Uh, and so, you know, I, you know, I mean, it's kind of beyond the scope of this podcast, what's intended. But I mean, I, you know, my heart goes out to anybody who out there who this opinion like changed their life on an individual level or family level today, literally today massive changes, you know, or massive hurdles put in someone's way. It's just, it's just crazy. I mean, I don't know. It's, uh, yeah. I mean, look, we, we yeah, unfortunate. You know, we're a legal podcast that talks about legal effects, but you know, when when big Supreme Court decisions come out, it affects all of us. It's it's important to talk about, right? Because like the benefit of having a supposed free working society is communication and dialogue and speaking up and protests and all of those things. I mean, that's that's what's supposed to be fundamentally a, a backbone of this country, right? right. Um, one thing. And 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 for the for the listeners that aren't here, we actually we have Justin who helps us out uh, with information. So I'm going to ask him to pull something up. Can you pull up for me the the confirmation vote for Ruth Bader Ginsburg? Just a number, real quick, and and I'll and I'll talk. Just pull it up for me, and I'll get to my next point. You know, the reason why we think that these ports courts are politicized is because I remember, you know, you had these individuals when they were confirmed. It was like overwhelmingly confirmation on both sides. Ruth Bader Ginsburg's confirmation vote was ninety-six to three. Right, ninety-six to Ruth, three. RB, I think she wrote. By the way, Casey, I'm pretty sure. Right. That Not, intervening between Roe and t- the Dobbs opinion today, there was Casey versus Planned Parenthood. I don't think she wrote that. Yeah. Did she argue Roe? I, I don't know if she argued Roe um, before she joined the bench, but the. So, so you have this, this idea that, look, Ruth Bader Ginsburg was appointed by Clinton. She was a, a, a liberal judge, but she was afforded the respect of her, the entirety, nearly entirety of the, of the Senate. All of the justices, the last three, was 51 to 49. I, I may be mistaken, but I think that's my recollection of it. It was something like that. Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, Barrett. And at their confirmation hearings, this was they they specifically were asked about Roe v. Wade, and they were like, "Look, this is settled law. It's it's the law. That's what it is." And then here they are, just ripping it and saying it's actually not good law. Goodbye, you know. So that so it's like, do we put? Why do we even have confirmations here? They're not. They're never going to tell you how they're really going to feel. Right. They, they're going to say I mean, there's one so thing. many imperfections in our what is objectively, I think, verifiably one of the best ways to approach governing a country. And that that particular process you're talking about is one of them. And I don't yeah. know how you fix it. I don't know how you fix it. But, you know, when I <clears throat> when I think about judicial decisions, uh, days like today, reading opinions like this, like complete reversals, you know. Um, it really, in my mind, <laughs> stokes those flames. I'll just put on my tinfoil hat for a minute, but I mean, it's like 
is the law going, are we, <clears throat> is the citizenry more likely to benefit 10, 20, 50 years from now from more of an artificially intelligent, uh, less human application of judicial decision making? Because if, if statutes are what they say, we read the text and judicial decisions should have precedential value, then what, I mean, it's just so hard to believe, right, that a majority of the same body, the same uh, court body, 50 years ago can say one thing, reaffirm it, then extend it in other contexts, same-sex marriage or whatever. And then just because politic, you know, political winds change, now it's like a complete reversal. It's like it just shouldn't – you should have more – I don't want to keep saying star decisis, but it should mean more than that, right? right. It just really should. Once right. it's settled, it should be settled. And I just feel like the human element has a way of interrupting, interfering, and meddling oftentimes maybe where it shouldn't, you know, where things yeah. are better off left. I I think individualism has taken a huge place over community in, in, in many aspects. But, you know, in terms of, you know, the, the application of the laws, like the law should be the law, right? And then to come in, you know, 50 years later, I mean, look, when Roe was decided, 1973, I looked this up. One of the top songs was a, uh, <laughs> tie a yellow ribbon round the old oak tree. That was one of the number one songs. I'll confess, I haven't heard that one. Yeah, by Dawn featuring Tony Orlando. You know, um, I, I mean, this is, we're going back, like, it, like, it's just, I don't know. We go back to the time that, you know, illegal abortions, you know, people that are products of rape and incest. And like, yes, these are very extreme things. But, you know, for me personally, probably on the, on the individual minor scale of my life, I'm not going to be affected. Right. You know, but, you know, there are those individuals that maybe, and as we talk about it, could it, you know, where do we draw the line? Where do we stop? We see individual. John, liberties. you're a parent. You don't, you know, I mean, a parent, you don't know, you know, we don't know where this goes for right. our children. And, you know, so I mean, that, that anything that affects our children would affect us. Um, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I don't think any of us really know how it's going to the true reach. I just think all of us, well, you and I, uh, on a personal opinion level, you know, just feel like it's a change for the worse. You know, it's a shifting in course the complete wrong way. And it's, it's just, it's unfortunate. And I don't, I mean, I don't really care beyond that. It's just, yeah. that, it's, I mean, I, I just think it's going to lead to what we already are, which is a tribal society. You're either on this team or the other team, good guys or bad guys, you know, wh whoever side you're on, that's what it's going to be. There is no, you know, common ground. Who is it that the justice, the, I don't know if you were at Miami when I was University of Miami when I was there. Who was the Supreme Court justice just had retired who had came to speak? Were you there when he came? Well, I mean, John Paul Stevens, I know, had come a that's, couple of times. I don't think he had just retired. I don't know, but yeah, he, I think he lived in South Florida. Yeah, no, no, he was. He had just re, he had. Well, I think it was recent when he left the bench, but he came down and, and I remember giving a speech. And I feel like he's one of the last true moderates that was on the court, right? May I mean look? You do a lot more appellate work than I do, but I think he's one of the last true moderates. I even think, and this might I think Gorsuch and Kavanaugh are more moderate than Alito and Thomas, right? Some of the older those guys, you know, they're on the other side, and, and you know, obviously the same can be said about Sotomayor and Kagan. But you know, there is no there there needs to be commonality, right? Like we we as litigants, like we, we're trial lawyers, we we we're against the defense. You know, we're against, you know, the insurance companies. We're four people, man. Like, that's the thing. Like, I, 
we're four people at the end of the day on a very individual level. Every single day we wake up, we're representing individual human beings. I don't care what anybody else does for a living, and I pass no judgments, including the people we often find ourselves going up against, so to speak. But at the end of the day, we're for people. So it should come as no surprise that when there's an overarching huge decision on a constitutional level, on a national level, that in my opinion is not pro people, it's it doesn't sit well, you know. Yeah. Um, it just doesn't sit well with me. You but, know, it's just right. But, but what what the point I was trying to make was simply that there has to be some sort of commonality or working together. There has to be, you know, even that we're, we're against our adversaries. Now, a lot of times there isn't, but you know, they, we always have this, you know, and I don't know if it's true. Maybe it's bullshit. You know, we hear labor seek the truth, you know, right. That's what that's that you see that in every courtroom. It's all said that we hear, and it's almost like we're supposed to be working together, but that doesn't happen <clears throat> a lot of the times it should. Right. You know, I shouldn't be arguing the same thing in the same position in front of in every single case time and time and time and time again, but it happens, you know, and so maybe that's just a, a reflection of, of who we are as a society now. We don't work together. We don't get along. We don't try to find common ground. It's like you're either on my team or you're on the other Well, team. I think many issues are, are, you know, it seems like more divisive than they were when I was young, paying attention as best I could. But again, that's a matter of perspective. I could be wrong. And I also think humans have a general tendency to think that what they're going through, what they're living through in any given moment is of more historical significance than something that's happened in the past. True. I just think that's natural. And I don't think like I said, there's anything wrong with that. I just think it's, it's like the natural human tendency. But this is obviously 50 years uh, getting turned on its head and really more than that, because how long did it take for Roe v. Wade to finally find its way up there and get decided uh in a favorable way in, in terms of finding a right yeah and what so what, i always think about what are the what are these like groups of people that get together to like file lawsuits you know like like these they're almost like super PACs. i think of that are just like people for the ability to control and have guns at all times for the people like some weird name long like lengthy i'm in this club and i have standing and you know like and they are able to bring these lawsuits. Yeah, they're, they're just pushing issues. I mean, right. there's, there's professional, there's professionals that do that. And I think, and look, I, I think there's, there's value to it. And and I think a, a core level, right? I mean, important issues should be teed up. I think you know, set up the right way so that a fair disposition of them can occur. And sometimes, like when it gets lost in the trenches, uh, it can get muddied and and not really give the best vehicle to make an important decision. So I don't think there's anything wrong with it generally, but yeah, you're right to say that <clears throat> it seems like there's like a never ending machine constantly litigating these big issues until they find a win on their side. You know, right. I, until don't, the, until I don't know the, how you stop that. I don't think you can realistically expect to stop. Well, that, I think yeah. what you say is until the, the makeup of the court is what you want, right? You keep bringing the issue and then eventually well, what happens, you know, I, I think that, I want to say one of the, I don't know if it was the opening of the dissent where they say that, I'm going to misquote it, but they talked about saying that the, talking about specifically the makeup of the court in in their opening of their dissent, right? Of like, that's what, the, the only thing that has changed since since Roe v. Wade and Kathy versus Planned Parenthood is the makeup of the court. That's it, you know? And so, so, you know, but but it leads me to a, another thing to, to even talk about is like, but the problem is that they're like, look, it's not the court's job. Like if they wanted this to if they're going to say, look, it's not in the Constitution or if it is, this could have been codified. 
right? It could have been made a law at the federal level. And I think that Jimmy Carter had an opportunity, Obama, Clinton, um, and, and I think even Biden right now, and none of them are doing it. And none of them had done it, you know? And I, I saw somebody post something that kind of made sense is that sometimes it's almost like, you know, the Democrats need a wedge issue like this to like, like, I don't know if it's um, not hinge an election, but make it an issue. And then they get in there and then they don't, they don't, they don't do anything. Right. And so yeah. it's frustrating. I mean, we're going to see just, right yeah, everything, everything before today when this opinion was released, even though we had the draft opinion. So the writing was on the wall. Everything before today was speculation and what would happen. Now we have to live in this post Dobbs decision. So we'll see who kind of steps up on a legislative or executive level or whatever, <clears throat> state, federal. And we'll just have to see how it, it, it shakes out. Because really, at the end of the day, Dobbs is, it's now the law of the land. Yeah. Period. End of story. You know, it's like, uh, I don't want to say end of story. Period. For that case, this issue that's the end. So unless there's some change on another level, the judicial system has put a period to to end it. And, you know, I find, you know, separately, I don't want to talk out of school again. I'll confess I haven't read the uh, New York Rifle and Pistol Association, whatever it was, decision that came out. Was it yesterday or the day before, earlier this week? Yesterday. Uh, I haven't before. finished reading that 130 something pages, and I want to do that on a couple of occasions just so I better understand it. But the timing of these two pretty monumental decisions is uh, it's probably compounding the effects of each of them individually mm -hmm. on me as a lawyer and a, and a person. Um, because on the one hand, you've got basically a court saying, I mean, this is just ultra dilution, probably, or distillation rather, but. In the abortion context, there is no such thing as a right to it, so leave it to the states. Just leave it to the states. And then the other side, when it comes to basically possessing a handgun outside of your home, well, I mean, we can't really truly leave that to the states. If the states want to regulate that or or put limits on that, we really need to force them to justify it. It's just this, uh, and I know one is the Second Amendment. There's there's a textual reference to firearms. I'm not going to get into my personal interpretation of it, but. I understand there is some difference between the two, but just the timing between the two, their their overarching approach, leave it to the states, don't leave it to the states too much. Uh, I don't know. It's just it's hard to wrap my head around in this particular moment. Yeah. I mean, we, you know, and, and for the benefit of the listeners, I mean, look, we're here talking about, you know, very important issues that aren't just, you know. About you think we'll have listeners at this point? In the nah. podcast? <laughs> it just turns it off. Click. Maybe, you know, and, and if they do, I mean, listen, everyone's free to, to, to close their ears. But what they shouldn't do is one of the things that I learned is, is to open your ears, to listen to other viewpoints. And, you know, I try to consider the, the opposite side of the argument if I can, you know, because if you're if, look, if you're close minded, um, you're never going to see the ability to see the other side. Right. When, when we had Dave was down here talking about it's not about being sympathetic, but being empathetic. Like, you have to see, like, how this affects other people, right? Not that it's my personal belief that it's wrong, so therefore I win, yes. Well, like, look at the other side of it, you know? You could say, the, you know, somebody could have, you have a non-viable child that's not going to live. You need to carry it full term. Do you think it, like, people just think that people are picking up abortions at, like, Walmart through an express drive through Like, this is a very hard decision that people make. It's not something that's easy a lot of times the people that are getting the abortion are, already have kids, you know, and it's so it's and if you're not if you're if you're if it's not situational, 
if you just categorically say, you know what, then what's going to happen? You're going to see people leave those states. And yeah, I mean, I hope so. I hope that most states uh, post Dobbs enact or modify their legislation to be uh, to kind of get <clears throat> as close as we can to where where it was before for the for the constituents of those states and neighboring states probably but i mean i don't know it's all kinds of interesting things about it's just, like it, you, you know up? it's like a friday shit's hitting the wall like we're hitting i don't know man you know it, it's i just think it's such a weird i don't know we're lawyers every time i every time i get myself to this place in this rabbit hole even well before today i always like stop and i'm like don't go any further because it's just such a weird thing that at the end of the day we're construing this uh it's far from ancient but for our country you know this this doc this incredible document, brilliant document by these brilliant people. Uh, but like, really, we're just stuck construing it, uh, putting it through the, the wood chipper all the time to find meanings. And it's going back the his, these historical interpretations. There's a there's a quote in um, in that gun case, the uh, New York State Rifle and Pistol Association. Let me see if I can find it. Hold on, because I was like here. Um, I don't know. This isn't a quote, but I mean, the general idea was like, we always have to go back and look at historical meaning and context always. But when it comes to the constitution, I mean, some history matters more than other. It's just, I don't know. It's like this like really hard, arbitrary uh, magic eight ball. What did they mean? You know, what really mattered? Didn't re <laughs> it's just crazy. I don't know. It's, it's crazy what we do, what we have to do, what courts have to do. It's just <clears throat> very, very interesting. Yeah. I mean, look, it's a hard job <clears throat> on, on this, on every issue. There's going to be one side that's happy and one side that's not. On the side of every trial, there's going to be one side that's happy, one side that's not. I mean, that's the, our legal system. There's a winner and a loser, right? That, that's the way it works, you know? I mean, that, that's... Yeah. And I, no, and then, as well, there should be. I guess all I... Really, if I if I had one general feeling that's, like, that's feathered throughout, it's just like... It just bothers me on some fundamental level. I think mostly as a lawyer that um, huge issues of constitutional significance can shift based on basically the composition of the court and the changing political landscape. Right. I think that's what bothers me. It's like, if right. it's, if it's supposed to be independent uh, and the constitution is the constitution, it's that's it. Supreme law of the land. I just, I feel like those things, it's not that anything is fixed in stone and I'm not one of these advocates that once decided stand forever, no matter how bad I, I get it, there should be exceptions to every rule, including star decisis. It just, just feels forced in this example. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, jamming it through as as best you could and then here we go predictably it happens uh and i don't know so yeah i mean look justice should you know really should be non-political and unbiased it really should but but <clears throat> you know remember and also like equality shouldn't be a liberal concept whatever that means well liberal, remember think. um in a, in a time to kill right, the movie matthew McConaughey, like what 1995 and he talked about you know whether he could get a fair trial for a black man in mississippi Right. That was the big issue. <clears throat> and I remember the judge was like, you made a really good point. And I agreed that a black man can't get a fair trial anywhere in Mississippi. So might as well be here in the county where he's at. Yeah, I remember that. You know, he was like, I agree with you. And, and he kind of was like, look, we as human beings, like the law is directed at human beings and human beings aren't perfect. Right. We're not, you know, this this ideal world where laws unbiased and people don't like they leave their you know baggage or who they are beside we know they don't do that in juries right <clears throat> that's why we move to exclude them and talk to them because they're they're a product of their own background and the same is for judges we can try to be as 
I'm trying to say they can probably try to be as like independent and unbiased they can, but they're we're still humans. So we, and we don't live in that. Nobody night. is unbiased, yeah. and nobody is independent. I refuse to believe either of those two things are true. They're aspirational. And I think we should all aspire to be that in the law, like especially, you know, from the bench. I mean, when we're advocates, we're not, but we're, we're biased for our clients and we're, we're, uh, the, you know, we're trying to win. But I mean, I just don't, I don't think anybody can reach that point. I think it's, it's an ideal that can never be reached, which is fine. That's a reality of life. But um, I don't know. There might be some interesting other solutions. When I say solutions, I just mean bigger picture. So things, things overarching, like lifetime appointments, um, just a weird concept. Maybe they shouldn't be anymore. Maybe you know, you know, you know just a, a weird concept. I think. Well, it's it's that actually might might not be a bad idea. I mean, look, look, we talked about like term limits for people in political office. That should be a thing. I'm I'm okay yeah. with that. Why should it be any different for judges? Why should judges think that I'm just here forever? Because like the law and society changes. It's almost like you need fresh thought, fresh idea, fresh blood in there at a certain amount of time. Maybe it should be twenty years. You can be twenty years on the federal bench, twenty years on the Supreme Court, maybe less. Right. Anything less than lifetime appointment would be a start. You know, they can do whatever just, they want. It's just an interesting concept because uh, it really gives, perhaps. I mean, this is a theoretical or a, a philosophical discussion, but I think you know, it gives people the reassurance that g- give me enough time, I'll be able to kind of have my personal view materialized and yeah. memorialized in you know potentially binding law for a jurisdiction or in this case the country it's just a just an interesting thing as opposed to if i'm here for 10 years 20 years uh, i'm going to adjudicate the issues that come before me and some of the issues that may matter to me personally may never ever come before me during yeah. my, my tenure and that's just fine because i'm not here to be an activist right but i think when you have a lifetime appointment it just grossly increases the odds that uh somebody's uh personal opinions or personal perspective is going to end up eventually being memorialized into law. Yeah. And I I think it would help with the integrity of the court, right? If it's not just because everyone's going to look at this, like this is a completely political opinion. And I used to say that justice Roberts, when he wrote for the majority in the affordable care act decision that upheld it, that he did that because he did not want a political court. Well, too bad, too sad because that's all he's got now. That opinion doesn't even matter. Well, it was, it's a tax. I upheld it. Great. Giving I mean, people, not having a political court in the landscape we live in. That's correct. Back to my point. It's not even. It's like it's an not ideal, a thing. And it's a good thing to aspire to. And I, I'm not. Even, I've never clerked for any judge. I've, let alone the United States Supreme Court. And so, I mean, these people are brilliant, far smarter than I'll ever be. And I'm, I'm sure, you know, John Roberts is doing his absolute best to get some uh, uniformity among the court to make it seem less political and all that. But I'm just saying at the end of the day, we're living with with the decisions that come out of it and the timing of when they come and who's writing them and the words that they use. And so we're doing our best to decipher them and, and interpret them. And it just feels uh, it feels individually, I think, for you and I, a bit more political than legal. You know, it's a hundred. Well, I mean, come on. I mean, you don't have three justices that get in when they tried to block Obama's appointment and then they you get another seat and then you jam in one 18 days before an election judge Barrett I mean it's all political I mean the makeup of the court is political the fact that they were in with if they were 51 to 49 or along party lines makes it political that's all it is it's just a political court they're not it doesn't matter about decisions or other ideals it's like look you got put in by your party follow the party that's what we want yeah I'm just saying for I guess for a country that's it's very founding was premised on freedom 
which it is, and I think it's the greatest country on earth, and I am proud as hell to be an American. Um, there's a lot of a lot of people in positions of influence, I'll say, that care an awful lot about how other people live their life. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, meaning like that it's not entirely free. It's just it's just like these are competing principles to me. Uh you know, well, I don't know. It's, it's just no. It's, it's, it's hard it's to interest, swallow. It's interesting you say that because I think it's not about same-sex marriage. It's not about same-sex acts or abortion. Or it's about control. Like you said, they want they people want the ability to control what others do, and I don't care what people do in their own life, right? Well, especially in their own private life. I right. think you like know, it, it's there's your, a limiting principle on everything. I think we get started like privacy of your own home within your own marriage. You know who you choose to love have relations with whether or not you choose to bring a child into this world these things are uh, highly personal highly private highly individual decisions in my personal opinion right uh and but we've got an awful lot of people out there of influence who will stop at nothing to exercise some degree of control it just doesn't it seems antithetical to what america is it always has a long long felt like that for me um i've got people in my family who I, you know, are homosexual and married. I myself am in an interracial marriage. I've met many, many people in my life. I hope to meet many, many more from all different walks and facets, all and, and things matter different to individuals. I just think like, can we not all get on the same page that within someone's home and privacy, yeah, you know, just, those things, let them decide on their own. I are you a good, not. like, they're good people. People are good people, whether what they do or what they like. I mean, you know, I mean... <laughs> We've heard a lot of stuff coming out of Washington about some of the things that they like, you know, which may not, which should be looked upon disfavorably. But you know what? No one cares. Like they, 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 this idea of like, yes, we won. What'd you win? Doesn't affect you. It didn't affect you before. It's not going to affect you after. What did you win? You know, like I don't, I don't understand it. And, and to me as a lawyer and individual, I mean, look, obviously, I think, I think by my, verbiage and what i'm talking about obviously people can see where i fall and i I don't want to say i'm like one side versus the other and but i am more predominantly on some issues i would associate liberal not progressive but the the idea that if if we're if you're protecting child rights then you need to protect them outside the womb as well and I, i just don't see i see i see it unified against that so then what so it's not really about the kids it's not really about protecting the baby it's about control that's that's how I feel, you know, because if you really felt that way, you would say, let's protect them inside, outside and otherwise, you know. And so when they if they need financial assistance from the state, we can provide that for them. If they need health care, we can provide that for him. And, and, you know, I always felt, you know, how we t- to really if you want to determine the success of a nation and, and they're developed, how developed and how successful they're, it's, it's how we, we take care of our people. Right. We don't give paid time off. We don't give paid maternity leave. Like, and we own a business, right? We do these things because it's like the decent thing to do. Don't have to do it. Don't have to give paid time off. Don't even have to give paid holidays. Like we, we can't require them to work, but we don't have to pay them. You know, so there's this idea that, you know, who are we protecting? Because if it, if it's, if it's about the individual and about the people, you know, we should be protecting us. And when you start eroding individual liberties, right? They start to erode. I mean, we, we've, we, people, we've lost liberties for the illusion of safety, right? 
We are being recorded on our phones, whether you want it to a national and NSA and all these things. Everything we talk about is 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 used, discussed. That's why you can talk about something. And then we face- both have our tinfoil hats on today for yeah. this episode. No, no. But I'm just saying, like, come on. You haven't been there talking with somebody, and then you're like, oh, man, I really want those pots I didn't pans. say I disagree with you. And then I, Facebook, I was just making sure yeah, the audience a, knew. Yeah, you have we're a targeted, both wearing tinfoil hats today. Yeah, you've got a targeted Facebook ad about those Caraway pots that I just talked about to someone in a different room. It wasn't even my phone. <laughs> Like is cra- I mean, and look, it's crazy. And I just think that if we get back to our core as, as individuals, is like, look, we are the important ones, right? And so we have to protect ourselves as our, as our individualism, as the people in all aspects, not trusting a few, you know, influential people to do um, what what they think is best on our behalf. Yeah, I wonder how. Um Assuming things stay the same, which is not a safe assumption, but let's let's pretend in the hypothetical things stay the same. I wonder today is a day that makes me wonder what law students a uh, hundred years from now <clears throat> reading their textbooks or whatever the hell the medium is going to be then <laughs> that they get their information and they look back on this period. You know, like how we in law school would like learn about the Lochner era and the, whatever it was the twenties and, and all this stuff like. You know, you look back on it. It's historical. There's some gloss on it. it people have had time to digest it. But I just wonder what they're going to say about this period of time. Um, like, why? Like, people just, why the hell did they care so much about what people did in privacy uh, their own? You know what I mean? Like, is that, or will it be the other way? Like, you know, will it have gone so far that this will seem like, I, I, it's, I find it hard to believe that there were ever rights read into the Constitution for these kinds of things. That's unbelievable. You know, yeah, I don't know. It could be. I'll, I'll be long in a hole in the dirt. Uh, before that happens, so you, you know, and me both, pal. We'll, we'll but I can still it. wonder, you know, you know, look, one of the objectives of this podcast is to share the views of John and I. And when two, one, let alone two monumental Supreme Court decisions come out, uh, you know, we're not going to sit, we're not going to ignore them. So we appreciate those of you that have listened throughout. Uh, and we hope, you know, everybody enjoys their weekend. Reminder we're switching to a Wednesday release with our first guest being Ross Guberman. Uh, who teaches basically federal judges on down how to write effectively. That's a really good one. So we're kind of shifting back to a normal programming. And we've got some really interesting guests even coming up after us talking about jury selection and the, the data and analytics side of that. So we look forward to it. But for now, that's it. Over and out. Everybody have a great weekend. All right. See you guys. Thanks for checking out the John and Jordan on Justice podcast. If you enjoyed today's content, consider leaving us a review and be sure to subscribe wherever you heard this podcast so you never miss an episode. For more information or to connect with John and Jordan, check out at OnJusticePod on Instagram and Twitter or check out Discord for PlaintiffAttorneys.com to communicate with them and like-minded plaintiff attorneys in a private Discord server. Until next time, this is the John and Jordan on Justice Podcast. Podcast.